Hey, this is Cam, or rather Cam's long-lost identical twin pretending to be him. Don't tell our parents. And hello, pet. This is Eric. And welcome to the podcast where we look at the pop culture of our youth through the lens of adulthood. It's not about good or bad. It's about then and now, as we try our best to answer the question... What were we watching? Welcome, people, to episode 186, The Parent Trap, 1998 edition. Cam, are you ready for this Lohan Broham? <laughs> uh, I don't have a good uh, response to that, but yes. <laughs> I think that yes is the only response. I'm, that's the one yes, I'm looking doubly, for. doubly, so. <laughs> and, you know, this is not just a twin show. We're doing it one better. We've got a trio <laughs> of fans of The Parent Trap and making her, what were we watching debut? It's our guest, Jenny Rudloff. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. I am tickled to be here. Delighted to have you as well. It is like a long-lost member of the family being discovered and embraced. I feel that. (laughs) I feel like I've been adjacent to this uh, community of friendships, and here I am. I'm finally a grown-up. I can join you guys, so. (laughs) You're no stranger to Castville, because you've been on Marvel Star Wars Explorers. True. Twice, I think. With your brother. (laughs) Yes. Brian Redloff, who listeners of ours probably know. But you've reached a level where you you can be on podcasts that your brother does not co-host. It's like <laughs> you you are in you are in high demand and well, in the Castville community. I'm delighted. And yeah, we're we're so happy to have you, and we're happy to talk about this film, which uh, was a lot of fun to rewatch and has a lot of uh, interesting things going on. I think just can start with the fact that it's a Nancy Myers movie, and I think we'll get into that, but. It was fun to revisit from an adult perspective, especially. So here are some deets about The Parent Trap, which was released on July 29th, 1998. It was directed by Nancy Myers. It was written by David Swift, who's actually the credited screenwriter for the 1961 version, but also written by Nancy Myers and Charles Shire. It's based on the book Lottie and Lisa by Eric Kastner, which is a novel from the late children's novel from the late 1940s. Um, and also, of course, the 1961 Disney film starring Haley Mills. And this version stars Dennis Quaid, Natasha Richardson, Elaine Hendricks, Lisa Ann Walter, Simon Coons, and introducing Lindsay Lohan. And I believe that that original writer only got credit because the script is so similar to the original. Shout out. Yeah. I, I read that actually Nancy Myers and Charles Shire did a similar thing on their um, Father of the Bride remake with Steve mm. Martin. Because that mm-hmm. was also, you know, a new version of an older movie. And they borrowed so much of it. They're like, let's also yeah. credit the original writer. I was surprised to learn that it was based on a book. I had no idea. Mm. I thought like the original was the Haley Mills version, but that is not mm. the case. Yeah, I think, you know, there's definitely liberties taken. I th- This film is definitely more uh, based on the previous film, I think, than it is based on the book. But that's where the germ of and I, the idea of uh, two, you know, separated at birth 
twins come together at a summer camp. That's where mm-hmm. that comes from. And boy, oh boy, are there a lot of hijinks that ensue after these people find each other. But as we untangle these, you know, lineal questions, questions of our heritage and where we come from, I'm hoping, Cam, that you can be our guide and untie this Gordian knot of our legacy. <laughs> or at least just give us a recap of The Parent Trap. All right, so we start with credits over a montage of the courtship of a couple, Nick and Elizabeth, on a cruise ship, ending with their marriage. Cut to 11 years and nine months later, Camp Walden, an all-girl summer camp where Nick and Elizabeth's two identical twin daughters, Annie and Hallie, run into each other for the very first time, having been raised separately. They hate each other at first, trading pranks until they bond over Oreos and peanut butter. (laughs) (laughs) They eventually realize their family connection and hatch a plot to switch places on their parents so that they'll eventually be forced back together to bring their daughters home and presumably fall in love again. Hallie pretends to be Annie and goes to England to meet her mother for the first time, while Annie pretends to be Hallie and goes to California to meet her dad. Their plan is thwarted when they learn that Nick has a nasty new girlfriend, Meredith, who wants to marry him for his money. Hallie eventually reveals her true identity to her mother, who arranges to fly her back to her dad. The twins reunite and reveal their ruse to a surprise Nick, and then recreate their parents' romantic first date. Sparks fly, but it doesn't quite succeed in them getting back together. The girls then make a last-ditch effort by refusing to reveal which twin is which, unless they agree to a family camping trip. But Meredith intervenes, uncomfortable with Nick sleeping in a tent with his ex-wife. Elizabeth agrees and insists that Meredith go in her place. Meredith hates the outdoors, (laughs) and the twins antagonize her on the trip with more pranks. She eventually loses it and breaks up with Nick. They return to the house where Nick and Elizabeth rekindle their romance finally, and soon after get remarried, reuniting the family, and they live happily ever after. Indeed, it will be an everlasting love. (laughs) Beautiful film. Beautiful recap. Thank you. Agreed. So one of the things we like to do, Jenny, of course, is talk about our initial experience of discovery of whatever we're talking about. So I want to know, do you remember the first time that you saw The Parent Trap? I don't. It's surprising, but I don't. Well, I guess I was like eight when it first came out. Um, And then I'm not sure when it hit VHS or DVD, but I certainly remember rewatching it on VHS over and over again. Uh, For me, this was, I feel like, my first love of movies, and I just watched it over and over. I remember bringing friends over and being like, you have to see this. This is a classic, a timeless tale. And yeah, that's kind of my experience with it. Uh, for the record, it was released on VHS in December of 98, so perhaps it was a Christmas gift? Could have been. Maybe? Could have been. It's also like a film that I feel like my family would have just purchased uh, as yeah. big Disney heads, as you guys know. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, it, it was just fate to be with our orange cassette tapes. <laughs> <laughs> it was part of that clamshell collection, which uh, is also the VHS that my family owned. I. I believe it was actually my sister who received it as a gift, probably for that Christmas or maybe the ensuing Easter or birthday or whatever. But we pop it in on rainy days every now and then. It was something that like our whole family could actually watch together. I remember also reading about it in Disney Adventures. I think that's how it first got on my radar. Like there's this remake of this movie 
that I had seen snippets of the Haley Mills version on television, I think just channel surfing or whatever, but kind of losing interest because <laughs> I was not into old movies back then. But this was the perfect vehicle for me to consume this story. Like, give me modern adaptation with Dennis Quaid. I'm there. <laughs> you would love Dennis Quaid. Baseball movies. <laughs> That's right. Oh, yeah. He's a guy you call when you're making a sports movie anytime between the mid-80s and the early 2000s. So, yeah. Yeah, it was just a nice, fun memory I have of watching movies with my sister and my parents. Uh and knowing knowing that it crossed generations. Nice. Well, I'm surprised I'm maybe the only one who has seen it in theaters uh, of this group. Uh, I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure I remember going to the theater. Uh, this would have been, you know, summer of 98. I would have been going into sixth grade. And it doesn't strike me as like the kind of thing I w- like would have seen normally back then because I was, you know, a budding little edgelord asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I, it's hard, it's hard to imagine, (laughs) (laughs) but I could, I could also see, you know, like my pubescent self, my newly or about to be pubescent self, uh, attracted to younger, you know, Lindsay Lohan, who was around my age and going for that reason with a friend or something. I don't remember who I saw it with, but I, 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 I bet that's the reason, but kind of like you, Eric, it was more my sister's movie who my sister's 10 years younger than me. Um, and I, I believe she did own it, but at that point, you know, I'm, I'm in like high school or off to college at perhaps even, um, by the time she was really getting into that movie. So I haven't really seen it too much, even with my sister being a big fan of it, but yeah, so theaters and not much else until now. (laughs) It is one of those ones that also became a little more interesting retroactively because of Lindsay Lohan's ascent to stardom. Right, right. And you go back and you realize, like, Freaky Friday comes out, Mean Girls comes out. And like, wait a minute. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> go, you go dig out your VHS. Like, that's, oh my God, that's the same person. Seems like there's like a gap between them as well. When I think of Freaky Friday and Mean yep. Girls, mm-hmm. seems like a different uh, time for Lindsay Lohan. So maybe she took a break in there. I think that's exactly what happened because there's, yeah, Freaky Friday was released in 2003. So there was, Five years in between those two major milestones in her career. And of course, as everyone knows, those particularly five years in someone's, you know, personal development is just very, you know, a lot of stuff happens. So she went from being a child star to like this teen star and the rest is history. But man, also, man, what happened to Dennis Quaid in those ensuing years? (laughs) True. I'm kind of (laughs) joking. I was actually delighted to learn that he's launched a podcast in 2020 that's called The Denissance. <laughs> I wow. love that for him. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. Everyone's got but a podcast yeah. these days. Exactly. Exactly. But yeah, trying to put myself in the mindset of being young and watching this movie. It might be the first time I heard the bad to the bone music cue. It's been, been used. In so many things now. <laughs> oh, we're already we're already going to talk about that because that's a it's big a, one. It's, it's an important <laughs> first. It's an important yeah. first in a person's life. I love a good back to the bone needle drop, and I feel like <laughs> this is like a just genuine, like unironic use of it, and it's pretty endearing. <laughs> it's a good intro into uh, the soundtrack, which I wanted to bring up because mm. I feel like this is the first film that 
the soundtrack is like the soundtrack to my life. Like I've used these songs later, you know, like in high school, putting together uh, mixtapes for going to the beach with my friends, like Parent Trap soundtrack was the go-to for like, (laughs) how bizarre, let's put it on there, you know? Oh yeah. Um, I don't know. And I still like this morning. Yes. There she goes. Uh, Here comes the sun. Yes. It's just a very, I think it's one of the better soundtracks. Parents just don't understand. Also. That is, well, <laughs> I, I have more to say to that whenever we get to Meredith, but let's focus yeah. on the soundtrack now. I love the way it's bookended too by the Nat King Cole and the Natalie Cole songs. Mm. Oh, I never noticed that. Good catch. Yes. Yeah. Crossing <laughs> generations, baby. Yeah. L-O-V-E. Uh, across that, that just sumptuous montage of Nick and Liz's whirlwind courtship on the qe2 oh hell yeah so <laughs> the first thing i wrote when i like first popped it on i was like man i'm getting major dunstan checks in vibes from this montage <laughs> where it's just like showing like the the fancy like process of waiters like popping bottles and like setting tables just like dunstan checks in <laughs> be real shame if an orangutan came in and just <laughs> messed it all up that's what this uh, movie needs <laughs> <laughs> I, I had a similar thought. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's like, yeah, Dunstan vibes. But I think that's just us. Yeah. <laughs> Our unique obsession. Dunstan heads only. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's very, it's very effective. It's a very like nice romantic montage. Mm-hmm. Certainly gave unrealistic expectations of romance to me, I feel like, but beautiful nonetheless. Yeah, and the, the uh, I did watch the original, but before we watched this, I just wanted to like kind of see how they adapted the new one. And again, that's pretty similar. Like the opening credits to the original are all about the romance and the courtship, and you know, look how perfect this couple is. And then, boom, flash forward, divorced. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of fun, kind of a fun like immediate subversion of of the credits, <laughs> jumping into the movie. Yeah. And I think that's something Nancy Myers is kind of known for. So I've, I've mentioned her name. Uh, she started as a screenwriter and, and then moved on also to directing other films she's directed. This is her for directorial debut, actually. Uh, and then she would make What Women Want, uh, Something's Gotta Give, The Holiday, kind of this, uh, brand of early 2000s, um, romantic comedy. Mm-hmm. In in my preparation, I actually watched some more of her films and just to kind of get a feel for her voice. And it is very, you know, lightly subversive, kind of like not, it kind of trying to give you the, the fantasy of, of romance, but also grounding it in stuff that's like, okay, here's, here's what it's also like in real life. Like things, things happen, bad things happen, but there's still ultimately a happy ending to all these movies. Mm-hmm. And it's very clear to see why, you know, she's, uh, created a brand that a lot of people like. It's kind of like you're, you're swept up in it and you feel sophisticated is a good word for it. And there's also like a visual thread. I feel like that ties them all together. Lots of white linen <laughs> in all of them. Lots <laughs> totally. of like white wine scenes. Yeah. People with creative occupations. Like in this one, we have a vintner and a fashion designer. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, just marriage in general, like Father mm-hmm. of the Brides, several of them. Um, and, um, Elizabeth, the mother in this movie being a wedding gown designer. But this is like, yeah, hella sophisticated for a Disney movie, especially. 
And I think that's why it ha- held appeal to me when I was younger. Watching it at that age when you're like, okay, I'm, I, is this probably like the first uh, romance, like with adults that I ever watched? Yeah, I was and, thinking the same thing. The ending of the film is really focused on the adult relationships. Like the setup, yeah. the twins is just like the device to <laughs> like, right, yeah. um, kind of talk about more about this adult relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like it's like a kids movie that kind of like transitions into an adult movie, which is kind of interesting. Like the part I remember as a kid, like thinking back to when I saw it in theaters, was like Camp Walden, like was the outdoor camp. You know, a lot of it because I get big Colorado vibes, and that's where I was from and where I was living when I saw it at the time. So I'm like, man, that that feels like home. <laughs> <laughs> Especially the the like the bunk, how the bunks are named after indigenous tribes. Um, like Navajo and Arapaho, which is the county I grew up in. So I was like very, I don't know, I get, I get a lot of nostalgia from just the camp section of this movie. Totally. But then like, but yeah, like the adult rom-com that ensues is ultimately where the, the movie lands. Um, That's the meat of it. Yeah. Yeah. That like, as Jenny was saying, it's, it's kind of, we shift focus and, and it's just like, I don't know. I, it struck me that Disney would never make a film with such limited kid appeal these days. It's like, yeah, we go to the theater and, uh, with, with wa- watching wacky twin hijinks and yeah, uh, adult rom-com <laughs> breaks out. Well, I feel like there's even like a, like a distinct moment in which that shift occurs, like where it leaves kind of the kid stuff behind. And it's when Elizabeth is like, Oh, he's excited to see me. And then she like trans transitions into like, Oh fuck, like what am I going to wear? And she's like smoking the cigarette and she's like getting drunk. Getting drunk. She's like, okay, this is an adult movie now. Yeah. You would not see that in a kid's movie. Yeah. That was, that bowled me over as did the scene when I think it's, is it Annie pretending to be Hallie? She sits down with Meredith basically doing that. What are your intentions talk? Mm. And, and then Annie says something like, I, a marriage is about more than just sex. And I'm like, why, <laughs> why are we talking? We're talking about SEX in a Disney movie. <laughs> Mind blowing. By the time they get to recreating their first date on the boat that they've rented, we're talking about relationships and heartache and like parenting responsibilities. This has gone mm-hmm. way beyond like you bring back the chocolate getting dumped on someone's head. Like even in the original, like, so, so this movie kind of follows the beats, the main beats of the original, like, very closely they're pretty much identical twins you you could say <laughs> but even in the original like the twins are kind of involved in that date they have they come out and they play you know they play a song they play let's get together that's not in this movie it just basically is about the parents being like okay let's get real like we'll you know have them like six months out of the year like let's figure out the logistics like the adult logistics of the situation right this situation that they created through like atrocious yeah. acts. Like that's the thing that struck <laughs> me. Know. Like coming back to this movie, I was like, Oh my God, I think this is illegal. Like you can't just like, uh, just separate, um, sisters and twins and think it's okay for the rest of their lives. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like a very libertarian way of doing custody. Like I, it's like, I, <laughs> this is good for us. We're going to do this and not, and like, you know, our our daughters will never even know they had a sibling. Like that's yeah. that's fucked up. <laughs> it's all very adult. There's a lot of things that you might have to explain to younger viewers after they're done watching it. Another thing I kind of clued in on is that Hallie and Annie are the most stylish eleven year olds ever. 
the way that they dress, they're even like little adults. Like it's everything is just signaling to the audience is like kids, you know, time to grow up. <laughs> yeah. And like the responsibility for taking care of these grown ups lays in the hands of these 12 year olds. Like mm-hmm. they are the ones like there's the moment where Hallie talks about like what her dad does. And she's like, we run a ranch. And like both of them talk as if like they are the partner to their parent, which I know like can happen <laughs> in a single parent household. And um, it's just interesting how they like they're the ones taking on the responsibility. They're in, they're responsible for bringing this couple back together just feels really adult for 12 year olds. Yeah. <laughs> Especially when, um, I guess it's Hallie pretending to be Annie in England, but like commenting on the wine. <laughs> like, <Yes. laughs> like she knows what she's, she knows exactly what she's talking about. Cause she grew up on a vineyard. <laughs> you think that would be a like, flag you, for like, I know <laughs> you just came back from summer camp, but you did wine tasting. This is yeah. like the richest, <laughs> classist, whitest summer camp in the world. <laughs> and also very, very illegal. Right. <laughs> oh my God. Well, they yeah. don't seem to care about the law too much. Yeah. That is, yeah. We've thrown that out. The, the white window. liberal is above the law here, for <laughs> sure. It's, these are matters of the heart, not matters of the court, <laughs> beyond the bounds of legality. Man, there aren't a lot of kids who could, like, the, we've watched a lot of 90s movies, obviously, in the course of doing this podcast. One thing I say to a lot of people um, is that. We are so lucky to be living in an era where child acting has improved so much. But The Parent Trap is one of the rare exceptions. Like, Lindsay Lohan is pretty amazing, I think, in this role. I almost want to say she's even better as the British Annie (laughs) (laughs) than she is as, like, the American Hallie. She's very believable to me, but but her her American performance feels kind of just like a kid movie performance. But, well, I'm not from England, so I, I can't tell that the accent is, like off or anything but feels authentic yeah it feels authentic <laughs> to me yeah i see what you're saying and i think i agree too it's she does a good job though of like giving both of those characters distinct personalities i think more so yeah. than in the um original version or the 1961 version we should mention that like the original Haley mills was british and she hid her you know roots like she's american in both yeah, she characters plays american right whereas they have an american actress be a British sister and an American sister. I can't imagine what like filming those scenes was like, like channeling <laughs> yeah. both of them in the same day. I feel like it's a very, it seems like a heightened acting experience for a child. That's pretty impressive for like an 11 year old, 12 year old. And I think like to even go so far as like playing the character while the character is also impersonating somebody else. Like just noticing how, for example, Hallie, when she's, pretending to be Annie still is peppering in about a, a lot of likes like filler words in her s- speech mm-hmm. and not quite getting the same word choice right you know and on the flip side you know very obviously because it's pointed out Annie saying things that Hallie would never say but <laughs> but she's also like a lot more she has far less chill which also feels is an Annie trait even though she's um she has the letter of Hallie but she doesn't have the spirit of Hallie exactly <laughs> Uh, That was just a lot of fun to watch and to pick up on in the performance. Uh, Something I wanted to bring up was just now as a grown up, I look through this movie through like a queer lens. And there's definitely to me and not I'm not I know that I'm not the only one who um, reads this with like this queer subtext and going back to that camp scene just at the very beginning when they have all those duffel bags. I don't know if you guys remember tie-dye girl, mm-hmm. but <laughs> just that part where she's like, that's my kind of woman <laughs> yeah. to tie-dye yeah. girl as she like grabs this duffel. <laughs> and then like later in, later, later into that camp 
scene, she's like carrying Hallie on her back and calls her babe. <laughs> she's like, oh, this uh-huh. is not good, babe. And it's just like, what? <laughs> this doesn't feel 100%. Like something is going on here that I definitely unconsciously related to in some way. And I know the others have seen it yeah. as well. Same with like the butlers. <laughs> I would say that Chessie is also like a butler, mm-hmm. right? They're two people mm-hmm. that read as queer, but in the end end up together. Um, oh, yeah. And that part just doesn't sit well with me. It doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Um, seems like a gag, but it ties it together to make it more palatable, I feel like, for the conservative audience that maybe overtly it's going right. for. Right. I totally felt that too, Jay. Um, <laughs> like, like those characters <laughs> would not end up together. Yeah, when Eric when Eric mentioned like you know the potential episodes that you wanted to be on, um, and that you had things to say about the, the queer reading of Parent Trap, so I was I was kind of looking for that while I was watching, and absolutely read it into it as well. Yeah, the the scene you mentioned, um, and just like the the needle drops also, I feel like are kind of telling. Like, there's like. The Carpenter's song, Top of the World, which is like a love song. It's like, now that I found you, like, I feel on top of the world. And that's just like during a montage of like being at camp with all these girls and just like, I found you, you know, like, these are my people. How much they delight in like naked pranks and hazing. Yeah. Yeah, like- <laughs> <laughs> there is so much like boy coded um, stuff at that camp or, you know, mm-hmm. so and it goes so far as to the one boy who who's actually played by Lindsay Lohan's little brother. <laughs> that's saying, right i forgot about like, that i thought this was a boys camp <laughs> <laughs> and then at the end he's just like loving his experience oh, yes. <laughs> that's definitely kind of like a flip of a lot of like from this era you know it's mostly um films that have boy ensemble yep. casts with like that mm-hmm. one token girl and i feel like that flips mm-hmm. the coin here for the parent yeah. trap it is stuff. great stuff. I mean, I, I delight in all these 12 year old girls like playing poker and fencing, doing con- fencing. sports all the time and, yeah. and, you know, doing these crazy pranks. What does the fencing coach say? She's like, we're not, we're not damsels, damsels in distress, in distress ladies. Not just the coach. <laughs> yeah. My right hand man, Marva Jr. <laughs> <laughs> My antenna uh, were up true. during the, the, the camp scene. It was, <laughs> it was, but it was yeah. great. Yeah. Even the activities. Yeah. Well, it's not just the camp because I feel like there's the later scene where uh, Hallie literally goes into the closet and says, like, I'm in a closet. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I picked up on like, that, too. she's, like, talking on the phone with her and Annie. She goes to work with her mom, Elizabeth, and wears the blue pantsuit. Uh, she plays the role of the groom in the silly, you know, wedding photo she shoot. She has the idea yeah, of the top hat. That scene specifically came up uh, with one of my friends recently just talking about this movie. So here's a theory of mine. I might be reading too much into it, um, but I feel like Hallie kind of represents this like masculine energy. She is raised by a single father. Her name is Hallie, shortened to Hal, which is, you know, kind of a male name. Uh, she wears the blue, as I mentioned, and all the masculine, traditionally masculine stuff we talked about. But uh, so there's the song, There She Goes, as she's entering into... England and like you know it's like the montage of her driving through England like going to her her you know Annie's house to pretend to be Annie um, there she goes and then the, then the next needle drop involving Hallie as Annie is here comes the son <laughs> so my theory is that like there goes the daughter here comes like the masculine version of the daughter the son so in other words like bye bye daughter hello son and I feel like yeah like Hallie's purpose is to kind of like 
remind Elizabeth of this like masculine energy from her father in order to like get her to fall back in love with her father in a weird way. Like that's, that's like the coding and the symbolism I'm getting. I might be reading it too much into it, but I don't think so. I think that's, that's great. That's pretty cool. And even just on like a, a structural <laughs> standpoint, that makes sense too, because Annie is doing the inverse because like, they talk about how she's neat as a pin and she's like bringing order to this, the, mm-hmm. the, the, the man who has an untucked shirt and is eating chili out of a cereal bowl or whatever it is <laughs> when he first <laughs> yeah. appears yeah. with Meredith. They're kind of reintroducing their, the, um, the separated partner to their right. parent. They're like coming yeah. in as like foreshadowing. Remember this? Right. Exactly. And they both have equal parts. Yeah. And I feel like just the, the, the fact that it's played by one single actress, not actual twins, but it's like, this is, these are like two sides of like one concept, like one idea, one person. It's like a doppelganger multitudes. situation. Yeah. We're so all like, multitudes. Yeah. Yeah. Like the masculine feminine spectrum of the offspring embodied in two different people. Alas, it's a Disney movie from, from 1998. So no, <laughs> there not, not any actual queer people in this movie, but we all know. Right. <laughs> yeah. But that's the thing. It's like, it's like 1998 or go back to the thirties. Like the code, you, yep. you slip things yep. by the code when it's not quite acceptable in mainstream society. So yeah. When I was doing my research too, I noticed that this was like, very embraced by like the conservative alt-right-esque Christian Mm -hmm. community Mm -hmm. as like Mm. esponging these conservative family values. Like, yes, she needs a dad. She can't survive without her dad. And the other one needs the mom. And even like some of the lines, I was like, oh, really? (laughs) Like (laughs) when Annie's trying, or I guess it's Hallie, who's like, I'm about to be in my teen years. How am I supposed to survive without my mom? And like, just kind of uh, reinstating these conservative family values on the front. Yeah. It's a lot of, it's definitely some clumsiness to it. Like beyond, yeah, beyond just the fact that they just miss the the parents that they never knew. Like that's enough, right? Like it's, it's enough to just be like, I want my dad because this is crazy. I, you know, we've, I've never met him and I would like to get to know him. And especially if the other twin has had their time with them, right? Like, wait a minute, there's another parent and they want to be a parent and yet they didn't choose to be with me. So like, I feel like that is enough as well. And I feel like like the emotion is really sold in those moments of like reunion or recognition of like when, when Hallie first meets her mom for the first time or when Annie first meets her dad for the first time or when uh, Chessie realizes that it's Annie, like everyone gets so emotional when they realize like, oh my God, I haven't seen you in 11 years. Like, I, I I believe all those moments. Like, it's really kind of, like, emotionally, like, poignant in all those scenes. And I think Nancy Myers does a great job of, like, selling all those emotions. And all the actors do. Yeah, you know, yeah. Obviously. I agree 100%. It also shows that they were, like, together um, for a, at least a little bit with them as babies. Like, when Dennis Quaid was like, I haven't seen you since you had diaper rash. But, like, the rest <laughs> of the movie kind of reads like they just immediately broke up. Yeah. There's definitely a time period where they where they were all together, including grandfather. <laughs> the timeline is fuzzy and like uh, like every time I watch it it's just like how like how and why did they split? It's never really elaborated on. Yeah. I read that there was a I was reading kind of trivia about it and I read that there was a deleted scene where 
Elizabeth is talking a little bit more about like why they broke up. And it was like, I, you know, I tried to live in California. He tried to live in London, just didn't work, didn't right. work out. So, so I think there's like some shared like toddler, you know, maybe when they were young or toddlers, like, well, they're both seeming to be like very career driven, right. ambitious and mm-hmm. stubborn yeah. in where they want to live and what they want to yeah. do. And there's also just kind of like winking references. Like they're obviously like very young. And like, I think of the part when, they're discussing it and Dennis Quaid is like, it's been so long. I don't even remember why we broke up. And like, she's like, well, you know, when we got together, it was such a whirlwind. He's like, Oh, that part I remember. Well, <laughs> it's like, I remember that perfectly. And it's like, well, that that's also kind of the answer. <laughs> yeah. And, 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 you know, the girls say it themselves, like, well, neither of them ever got even close to remarrying. Like that, that could be yeah. a sign. And the fact that Elizabeth is like still a wedding gown designer, she's not like totally cynical about marriage, <laughs> kind of like speaks to something. There is something interesting too about Elizabeth continuing to kind of put up resistance. Like she's the one, perhaps because she is British, maybe she's the one showing the <laughs> stiff upper lip and like, just like, no. And Dennis Quaid is always saying stuff like, you don't have to be so brave. Like, you know, and I'm trying to read between the lines. I was wondering how you guys we're interpreting that kind of back and forth. I didn't quite catch that, but so like, yeah, like he just keeps saying, referencing like you're, you're always so brave. Like she's too proud or just like, doesn't want to release that emotion. Like, you know, admit that she misses him. Like, and it's interesting just again, to see the man in, in a movie like this being the one to be the first to, uh, be open about his feelings because like almost from the moment that they do get him back together like they're both kind of laughing about that date on the yacht like haha isn't this funny that our daughters did it but like there's something in dennis quaid's eyes it's just like actually i kind of want this to work <laughs> even yeah. when he first sees her at the hotel like he his eyes are like dazzling the, the yeah. moment he sees her across the pool yeah. So much that he falls into the pool. <laughs> and the way he's leaning out of the elevator, too, when he's, like, not sure if, like, what he's seeing is real. <laughs> well, I think of her being kind of more of the the interested party because, you know, she's the one that finds out about the ruse first. And then she's the one that's like, oh, we need to go shopping. I need, I need a, a, a better outfit. And, you know, is he excited to see me? Like, she's excited to, like, rekindle right. with him. And it's just kind of sprung on him. And he's just like, <laughs> at the hotel. Which which provides probably one of my favorite comedic moments in this movie is when um, the family's all together and then Meredith finds out that like Elizabeth was his ex-wife. <laughs> She's like, oh, a small world. And then I'm, <laughs> I get really big like Steve Martin energy from <laughs> Dennis Quaid being like, and getting smaller. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like loosening yeah. his tie. That made me laugh. Yeah, that's pretty funny. By the way, Meredith, we haven't even scratched the surface of Meredith. That's a whole thing. That's yeah, a whole thing. <laughs> I didn't even know it was a whole thing until I was like doing my research for this podcast. And apparently there are people that stand Meredith. They, <laughs> she is like the new icon um, as like a woman like, who's taking control of her destiny. <laughs> I just don't get it. Why does she have appeal? <laughs> well, she just, she just doesn't like children. That's the only like, yeah. that's the only real thing we see. Well, she has that line to um, Annie as Hallie when they're sitting on the bench and having that confrontation. And she's like, being beautiful and young is not a crime. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel like that's her character yeah. summed up. Hashtag yeah. queen. Um, and she just wants money and she wants Nick Parker. Yeah. What a good person. Yeah. <laughs> what a person to stand. Yeah. 
I do love how it's how revealing it is about just kind of like men in relationships like that, where it's like Nick can't even see beyond just the fact that this young it's like oh this very young person loves me like to to the point like like it's it shouldn't be lost i think that dennis quaid uh is married to a woman who's like 20 years as a junior (laughs) (laughs) and this the fact that that situation keeps happening over and over and over again it's i i think it's like that again coming from nancy myers is like just yes incredibly spot on and real (laughs) done in a farcical way but so feeling so very very true Meredith driving up in a red sports car blasting parents just don't understand is kind of like <laughs> raises so many questions for me. <laughs> That's the one time I was like, what? She's, she wouldn't be listening to that. <laughs> I read it as like it was coming from the scene before it. Cause I think Annie was like having an argument with, uh, with the mom or something was happening where there was a miscommunication between one of the twins and a parent, and then they played that song hmm. immediately mm-hmm. afterwards. But yeah, surprise for her to be listening to it. <laughs> I was like, what is this like white country club lady <laughs> doing listening to like Fresh Prince? I mean, maybe the Bel Air connection. She's I don't just, know, but <laughs> just, she's just not in her element. It's just to further differentiate her from these other people like this. She's, yeah. she's married. She wants, she's interested in this rugged man who rides horses, who owns a farm essentially. And she, I guess, can't find any rich man who lives in the city. So she's got to go after this. <laughs> but I, I think it all, it all is worth it for the camping scenes near the end. Cause rewatching it, I realized like this is some of the stuff that I remember the most. The pranks that they pull on her and her very hilarious slapsticky reactions to everything. It's kind of yeah. grotesque how that lizard goes in her I, mouth. I know. And it's just like, <laughs> That is burned in my it's brain. wild. Yeah. That is totally, totally burned <laughs> in my was, brain. It was way more graphic uh, watching it the other day than it, I remember. It, it lasts so long. That, that mm-hmm. Like, just in her mouth. It's in her mouth for a good five seconds almost. <laughs> and then, like, the way it's, like she's, like, crossing her eyes while it's in her mouth. And then, like, after <laughs> spits it out, she has, like, a raspy voice. Like, she... <laughs> <laughs> like she just like drank <laughs> detergent or something is <sighs> just banging the sticks together like to ward off the mouth like she's like catching on to all the ways that she's just being tortured on this trip it's uh iconic iconic everything from that workout <laughs> outfit she's wearing to that ear splitting scream she makes after waking up in the middle of the lake just amazing that's what i that's yeah, what i stand about Meredith. <laughs> I read somewhere that she is like the person who started athleisure, like based on that outfit that she wears yeah. camping. Mm, totally, just like a s- stark contrast to everyone else. I laughed at the uh, the the lines where she's like, "I'm, I'm going to kill my trainer." He told me I was yeah. in shape. Yeah. He told me I look so good. It's like obviously he's just hitting on you and telling you what yep. you want to hear. I wouldn't have caught that yep. as a kid. That's funny. This is a real wilderness, and yeah, yeah. I, that athleisure thing is so true. <laughs> Being in the outdoors, you see so many people like that now on the trail. It's like, like, what are you wearing? Like, this is this is more for the gym. An interesting choice. An interesting but... choice. Somebody hand me my Evian is what I want to say to them. <laughs> Going back to the twins being able to be kids again, I feel like, in that scene. Because they're just yeah. on their shoulders, weighing on their shoulders, this adult relationship. And then finally yeah. some reprieve where they can get to their old selves. Yep, They're getting one over on the adults. Yeah. Plus, plus, I just love the the poetry of it. Them coming together, like they start off at odds, 
and doing these pranks, yeah. then they're separate and like still deceiving, but you know, have varying right. success. And only when they finally come together do they achieve their their ultimate goal. <laughs> it's a wonderful arc. Yes. In the wilderness yeah. again. Yeah. But do they succeed? Not quite at that. I guess they succeed <laughs> in uh, breaking up the engagement. But Using their prankster powers for good, for <laughs> expelling the, <laughs> the witch. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it does take a little extra for the parents to realize that they want to get back together. Yeah, and it's ultimately his choice, not one of the girls, it seems like. Because mm-hmm. Elizabeth was like, well, you didn't come after me. And I feel like that's his cue that the next time you need to go after her. I think that's very true. I also want to believe that it's partially because of also that tearful goodbye that everyone has. Like they probably see that their daughters have formed this very intense bond and they can't just take that away from them, you know? Yeah. I noticed that too. There is that it's, they've kind of have an extended scene where they're just like in the car riding home after coming back to London. And Elizabeth is just looking at Annie weeping out, looking out the window. Yeah. And I just can't imagine being a parent in that moment. Like, yeah, this, we're just, this is what we're going to do. <laughs> it's like, this is the I'm status quo. I'm just going to watch you in agony. Yeah. <laughs> this is the status quo. Come on. You'll get to see her at Easter. You know? <laughs> Easter and Christmas. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> uh, but thank God. Halley returns to deliver that very 1998 line. You know, the Concord can get you here at half the time. <laughs> so modern. So <laughs> I, I, I this like, yeah, I, yeah. I keep my ear open for that kind of stuff. Like things that sounded very modern when this movie came out, like, Oh, this is the twist we're putting on the sixties version. It's like the Concord. <laughs> Come on. But they get back together and Natasha Richardson is just killing it too. Like in every scene. I don't know if yeah. we've talked about her too much. No. Yeah. We the haven't. late great. Natasha Richardson, tragically taken from us about, you know, 15 mm-hmm. years ago. Um, and I feel like her, her introduction is so angelic and made even more eerie and poignant with her passing. But she's just like this picture perfect mom, like representing kind of ideal femininity, an elegant wedding gown designer. I was getting big like Princess Diana vibes from yeah, her style wise. And mm-hmm. I, I wondered if that was like an immediate like, after she passed, like if that was kind of like an influence on the decision to like make her British and yeah, I don't know. And also just to accentuate those masculine feminine differences because British people are even just, if you believe what the movies tell you are by nature more proper and refined. (laughs) Right. And they hammer it home with like the queen Elizabeth is where they Mm -hmm. they meet. Her name is Elizabeth. It's like royalty is kind of like implied and all in in her vibe. Like that's, which is why I again find it interesting that like they flipped the emotional dynamic a bit too. Like she's the stoic one and Nick is the, well, the very open American kind of guy. Seems like she had to be to succeed. Yep. That could be part of her story as a single woman building this business all by herself. It doesn't seem like there's any other man besides grandfather, but I'm sure he didn't have anything <laughs> to do with the business. But having to having to do it all, I guess. Yeah. As they say being a mom and a business owner. Yeah. Cause even Martin, like the domestic help is feminized a bit. Mm-hmm. He's the one who helps her pick out her outfit for going to see Nick again. <laughs> Seems like a gay best mm-hmm. friend to me. Abs- absolutely. <laughs> yeah. hundred uh, percent. Until, until he <laughs> checks up with Chessie. <laughs> You're like, Oh, I guess not. <laughs> Chessie was definitely my favorite character though, growing up. Cause she just has all the f- one liners. Yeah. I yeah. gave you a fright. 
(laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and she clearly knows Hallie the best because she's the one who catches on to it as soon as she gets there. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. To me, she kind of has vibes the same as, like, Rosie O'Donnell in Harriet the Spy. (laughs) Yeah. Mm. Like, this just, like, more, like, masculine, single, um, role model kind of character. No nonsense, kind of sarcastic. (laughs) Do love her describing Meredith, too. Like, if you, if you ask me, she's doing a better job of selling herself than the grapes. (laughs) (laughs) And then, yeah, when she recognizes that it's Annie, almost from the jump, um, and like when the but then when the realization finally sinks in she kind of has that emotional breakdown it's the way i've always looked at her it's great (laughs) i'll make anything you want what's your favorite food can i i'll just make everything (laughs) you know what i'll just make everything Uh, i love her she's the best one thing about elizabeth before they go on that camping trip though i think she exposes her mischievousness that uh the kids have certainly gotten passed down Mm. the apple does not fall too far from the tree (laughs) just tricking meredith into that and getting herself out of it starting (laughs) next week there half yours (laughs) 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 and that like grin that she gives oh it's so good and nick nick of course (laughs) uh, realizes after the fact because he's nick wait a minute (laughs) tricked (laughs) me is more like it <laughs> my favorite Nick line is when she's out on the mattress in the water and it's morning. He's like, oh, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, he's just like this dopey man. Like, oh, man. Agree. 100% agree. He's just like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, and this is over. Oh, man. <laughs> I laughed out loud at that moment. Just, uh, <laughs> that's my favorite Nick line. <laughs> He's kind of playing the straight man throughout the whole movie. He's the one who's always doing the warm yeah. and gentle chat. It's like, just cool it, you know? Right. Uh, because <laughs> what I've realized is this movie is all about funny women. Like, this is, and, it, and it's of a piece with Nancy Myers' movies. This is just about very mm-hmm. funny women. Natasha Richardson, Lindsay Lohan, Lisa Ann Walter, and Elaine Hendricks. Elaine Hendricks. Yeah. It's just every, and, and, and like, they represent so many different, like, types of comedy. You, you, we're lucky even today if sometimes we can get like one funny woman in a movie, big Hollywood movie. And this just has four, you know, and they're all representing different, yeah. different vibes. And it's such a delight yeah. to see. You love to see it. Also, just randomly, you mentioned Cam at the beginning of the episode in the recap, how Annie and Hallie are bonding over Oreos and peanut butter. And they're talking mm-hmm. about how some people find that disgusting. And I'm like, who are these people? <laughs> I think that too, because it's like chocolate and peanut butter. That's like everyone's favorite combination, right? <laughs> it's also funny that uh, in the original it was Fig Newtons and all our Nabisco products. Oh, nice! <laughs> so I feel like Nabisco definitely has their their fingers in the uh, parent trap. I caught um, REI when they were getting ready okay. to go camping. I hadn't <laughs> noticed that before. I don't think I knew what REI was as a child, no. so it probably didn't yeah. <laughs> uh, pass my radar, but I definitely do now. Most of the world probably didn't, yeah. honestly. Like, <laughs> True. That profile has been raised so much since then. Yeah. I remember, I just remember the first time I was, I had Oreos and peanut butter. I'm like, wow, this makes Oreos 10 times better. Like, this is incredible. I'm actually not sure I've ever tried them together, but it doesn't seem weird at all. It's so good. Mind. I also love that part when they do share the Oreos that she's like, you don't know Leonardo DiCaprio. Oh, yeah. <laughs> one of my favorites. Yeah. This is like fresh off Titanic. Yeah, too. That'd be a little far fetched for Annie to not know 
who is. Especially Kate Winslet being like one mm-hmm. of the stars. I'm sure, she was all the rage in England. That relationship is very much in, in Titanic kind of mirrors the Hallie and Annie connection in some ways. We even had that whole discussion with Blythe mm-hmm. on our Titanic episode about how there's a way you can read into Titanic with Jack playing, uh, who's actually a woman, passing as a man or presenting as right. a man. That's right. Totally. So come on, Annie, yeah. get on the ball. <laughs> <laughs> Um, something that I was just kind of mulling over is does this movie pass the Bechdel test? Mm. Because yes, there are um, girls and women talking about things that don't have to do with a man, but ultimately this movie is about reuniting a man with a woman. So mm. just something I was thinking about. I'd have to watch it again to really key in on that. But I feel like even if there's a scene about their mom talking about their mom, that's probably also in relation to their dad. So it would know. have That's to just question. be that beginning part at camp. Mm. Is there an exemption to be made, though, if they're talking about their parents? I mean, or t- talking about their family? I've always That's thought true. about that particular part of the Bechdel test as kind of being more oriented just towards, like... The romantic couple. Well, not just romantic, but, like, any movie where, like, a man, a man is trying to achieve goals. So, like, the characters are just always talking about, mm. here's how he's doing and getting that there, you know? Whereas... Mm-hmm. This is something everyone's involved in. This is a plot that involves like tricking a man, but also a woman. You know, like yeah. we. This is and and it's you know he is the last to know. He's the last to find out. So he is. You could argue the least agency. Yeah. Like the <laughs> that's true. The, the twins are in the driver. As we've discussed, the twins are in the driver's seat of this movie. You know, they're yeah. the ones making. Yeah, he really happen. only makes a big decision at the end. Mm-hmm. He's been guided there by this trap that's been set for him all along. I mean, just personally, this movie, I feel like, really influenced a lot of my interests um, when I was that same age. I remember asking my mom for fencing lessons, and then later nice. wanting to go to camp, and then later, <laughs> later, working at camp. Yeah. So. yeah, talk about influences. You are the, the camp expert, to me, in my <laughs> world, at least. So it's cool to hear that it kind of led you down that path. Did you go to an all-girls camp, or was it co-ed? Well, I went to the same camp that I worked at, the Girl Scout camp oh, okay. here in San Diego. Yeah, definitely has similar vibes uh, to the camp in this movie. When did you start going? What age? Uh, I only actually went one summer in 2003. So hmm. uh, I was 12 just for one summer. I don't know why I didn't keep going. <laughs> <laughs> um, but for me, yeah, that was kind of like the first space that I saw like masculine presenting women. Um, was mm. at camp so that's kind of one of the another reason why i kind of read into that part of the film as mm-hmm. kind of a queer space did you do a lot of similar activities did you <laughs> i wish did you play poker <laughs> fencing <laughs> no none of those things happened <laughs> and there's definitely more than two adults working there uh, <laughs> there had to have been pranks though uh i mean i'm sure they happen um, certainly among the staff, but, uh, nothing, nothing to Lindsay Lohan level. I, I went to camp. I went to camp once also in my life, sleepaway camp. And it was like the junior version. So it was only a few nights and it was also kind of a Christian camp. So yeah, there are, there are no shenanigans of any kind, nor probably any masculine presenting women, <laughs> but, um, it, it, it kind of, it kind of comes back to you when you're, you're sleeping in a, a cabin with all these people who are just strangers two days ago. 
but now you, you're like mm-hmm. acting like you're the best of friends. Like you have this unbreakable bond. You have to. Yep. It's the only way to survive at camp. It's true. Even though I probably lived in the area for it, I never really went to like a sleepaway kind of like cabiny camp like this. It was always like basketball camp or like some other thing. It'd be like a week long, maybe at, mm-hmm. at the most. But, but similar vibes, like, you know, you, you kind of become fast friends in like two days. I, I do kind of wish I I had that like traditional like camp in the woods kind of vibe. I never got that. Someone needs to create a sleepaway camp for adults. They exist. <laughs> they exist. Seems like it's a very uh, more like a giant drunken party in the woods <laughs> than it is. Uh, <laughs> than it is the same vibe as like coming together community let's do yeah. a collaborative craft let's uh learn how to canoe seems like a different vibe yeah well still room to innovate then so maybe one of us can create that adult camp <laughs> definitely uh it's definitely one of my dreams that would be awesome camp is healing i think uh i think it would be really helpful to have a space like that all right so how about we sit around the campfire and tell stories to each other stories about where this story could potentially go and throw out some pitches. Oh, instead of gay, only I'm in it for riches. Sequel, prequel, remake, wanna throw me some pitches for guffin. Alright, in my sequel, the twins and their parents lived happily ever after, or at least for a few years, until the tragic and unexpected death of Elizabeth, you know, since Natasha Richardson passed. Uh, it would be a shame to recast her, so I, I just want to incorporate that. And the emotional shock creates a rift between the twins, and they haven't been on speaking terms in years. Since she missed a lot of early years with her dad, Annie stays in California to be closer to Nick, whereas Hallie takes her mother's death really hard, having not spent much time with her. So she becomes a little more troubled and wayward, and this would be totally Lindsay Lohan parodying her real-life persona. (laughs) Maybe she goes to live in England to be closer to those roots, but instead of being a wedding gown designer, let's make her a cynical divorce lawyer, because nobody ends up happy in her mind. So the dynamic of the original is kind of inverted in several fun ways. Cut to an all-girls summer camp in the present day. We meet two red-headed girls, Sharon and Susan, throwback to the original names of the Parent Trap twins, who otherwise do not look alike, but immediately become sworn enemies, playing pranks back and forth. Eventually, they get in trouble, put in the isolation cabin, where they begin to bond. And Susan flips when she sees a photo of Sharon's family with what appears to be her own mother. The two girls begin to wonder if their mother somehow had two secret families until they put it together that their mothers must be twins. Baffled that they never told their families and disappointed that they never had a cousin to be best friends with, Sharon and Susan hatch a plot to trade places so that they can spend time with their respective aunts. Since they're not identical, the ruse wouldn't quite be the same as this movie, but they somehow work out the logistics of switching places using their expert prankster skills, and ultimately they make it so that Annie and Hallie have to come together and make up and decide to move closer to be more a part of each other's lives again. And we can have a Dennis Quaid uh, appearance as well. But ultimately, yeah, get together. And I just want to see Lindsay Lohan playing dual roles, especially like modern day Lindsay Lohan with all the like baggage of of her life. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I want to see that. But the title of my 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 sequel would be The Ant Trap. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. I like it. I like it. Hashtag justice for Lindsay. Bring back Lindsay. <laughs> this could be like her bringing back 
moment. Yeah, like, the, this could the be big it. comeback. Yes, comeback. That's the word I was looking for. Like bookended with introducing Lindsay Lohan, reintroducing yes. Lindsay Lohan. <laughs> so, so my pitch here is um, it's a remake because. Obviously, the story just kind of lends itself very well to being remade for different eras, different ideas of family. But something that I am interested in is like an action comedy that's about a family, which is something I don't think you see very often. You know, putting people in peril and having them come closer together. So we'll still have the same kind of like beginning basic plot structure. Uh, Two girls meeting as rivals, discovering their long-lost twins, making a plan to swap places. And in this version, um, the dad is a record executive in New York City, and the mom is a park ranger in the Florida Everglades. This is when the inversion starts to happen, because the parents will uncover the ruse and agree to like swap the kids. Uh, they're going to do it in Key West, because dad is meeting a crucial like, big client, musician client down there who's on vacation. And his client is also having marital problems of his own. And then things go sideways when the said rich client gets taken hostage by a group of inept kidnappers. So this sweeps the whole family up uh, when the island goes on lockdown and everyone is caught in this web of action and suspense and hopefully lots of speedboat stunts. And it brings everyone closer together. And then I think like the cherry on this would be the kids roasting their parents about this really fucked up custody arrangement that they decided on (laughs) and everyone realizing like, okay, let's, let's decide a better co-parenting strategy. And that the reconciliation it ends with is actually with, again, this like rich musician who's renewing his uh, commitment to his partner or whatever, you know, however we want to frame that. So that's kind of like the bringing a, a family back together with this whole thing has facilitated. And my working title for this movie is Parent Trapped. <laughs> nice. Give me those speedboat chases, Eric. <laughs> I just think there's like potential home alone potential for like prankster kids to like, you know, mess with criminals yeah. and then uh putting putting both parents into like situations they're not used to, like the mom has to deal with this high maintenance celebrity and the dad has to do some rugged outdoor things. I also like that it takes place in Florida. Florida Everglades, untapped uh, setting. <laughs> I mean, I'm just trying to make it as appealing to Disney as I can. Just like Florida, it's your, it's your, it's your, it's your kingdom. It's your magic kingdom. Yeah, I thought about that too. Like setting the the summer camp, like somewhere that wasn't Camp Walden. Like, like all right, well, if she has a kid, she's definitely going to send her to Camp Walden. So I'm. Let's think of like the the furthest place from Camp Walden. So like a camp in, I don't know, somewhere totally different. Like the Everglades yeah, or like a dude, whatever. a dude ranch. Yeah. Arizona. <laughs> yeah. 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 <laughs> How the West was fun. That's what you could call it. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of twinning. Uh, <laughs> yes. oh, we, 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 yeah, we haven't, we haven't talked about it takes two, which is also uh, an adaptation of this story. I've, no, I don't really have any course. recollection of what the plot is of it takes two. I don't either, but I think it's similar. And I think it's also based on wow, Lottie and Lisa, the a, original. <laughs> what a timeless story. See, it just keeps getting remade <laughs> over and over. And I think there is an actual remake coming on Disney Plus or is, has, was announced okay. a while mm-hmm. back. Definitely sounds like something Yeah, we can expect to see. All right, Jen, what is your pitch? Oh, man. Okay. 
Riffing off of her father's footsteps, grown-up Hallie Parker owns and operates her own brewery in the hip San Diego neighborhood slash gayborhood of Hillcrest. Despite being known within her gay girl squad as quite the womanizer, she has recently gotten engaged. Her friends and family are cautiously optimistic towards Hallie's new commitment. Internally, Hallie is struggling with mixed emotions. She's head over heels for a fiancé, Sam, but can't shake unresolved feelings for her long-lost camp bestie, <laughs> tie-dye girl. <laughs> During the late stages of Hallie's bachelorette Napa weekend, she shares her feelings with her logical, no-nonsense twin, Annie. The two sneak off to Hallie's childhood bedroom to sift through old camp photos and wax poetic about their summer days. During this time, Annie complains about having to return to New York midweek to help set up her gallery's latest exhibition. She holds up an article profiling the up-and-coming artist. Hallie gasps. Could it be? Uh, she brings forward an old Polaroid matching it to Annie's. Um, and as the photo reveals to be the same woman, the twins gasp. <gasps> Tie-dye girl. <laughs> A mix of hysteria and scheming ensues, and Hallie thinks through some kind of plan to see Tie-Dye Girl before the wedding. Hallie devilishly smirks towards Annie, and the two share a magical twin moment. Reading Hallie, Annie instantly and furiously lists reasons why Hallie's plan is a bad idea. We cut to the two once again preparing to switch places. Hallie will fly to New York pretending to be Annie to confront uh, tie-dye girl, while Annie, pretending to be Hallie, will carry out her pre-wedding duties of meeting Sam's extended family, hosting friends, and making last-minute <laughs> decisions. With only 24 hours to make a successful switch, will ha Hallie drop everything for long-lost tie-dye girl? Or will the confrontation reassure her as she U-hauls towards her oncoming nuptials? Chock full of mischief, romance, and zany family misunderstandings, this film will surely bring something everyone can relate to when contemplating love, relationships, and rushed over-the-top weddings. Oh, that's fantastic. I love that. That's awesome. That's like full that's like full on film festival notes that you created. Oh well thank you. I love I, it. Yeah. <laughs> totally standing Hallie and Tide Girl to like make it in that movie. Um, and also, I really hope Tie-Dye Girl's art in includes Tie-Dye in some way. <laughs> like, yes. <laughs> like her, her exhibition's all about like incorporating Tie-Dye yeah. in some fashion. It's like it just speaks to me. Something about yeah. it just speaks to me. <laughs> yeah, the running gag would be like, you never know Tie-Dye Girl's actual name. Like, it's just like, Tie-Dye Girl. <laughs> That's like her artist I name, too. No yeah. <laughs> TDG. I have no idea how this uh, movie resolves, but I just really want zaniness happening at a wedding. I love a crazy wedding movie. Oh, I feel like and, the uh, wedding has to be subverted in this one. Like, I feel like she's got to be yeah. like, no, you know. Uh, Let's not rush a wedding. Right, right. Let's get to know ourselves. <laughs> <laughs> well, those are fantastic pitches, friends. And uh, I hope you enjoyed listening to him. And especially those of you in Hollywood, if you enjoyed those, just go ahead and... Uh, Tear a check into thirds and send one part to each of us <laughs> until we're at camp and discover we all have a third of a of a check in our wallets. All right. Well, there's one more thing we want to do before we sign off. And uh, just to take a look back on this experience, rewatching The Parent Trap and ask ourselves, what were we watching?
What were we watching? I was watching a slyly gender bending doppelganger mind trip. If you want to dive that deep, uh, but if you don't, it's also just a fun update of a Disney classic, at the very least. And I'd say I was watching my introduction to more romantic films, like the the vocabulary and the look of and the and the sophistication of such type of film, such that genre that I wasn't familiar with. And it's also the return of our old friend Wish Fulfillment, almost a more purely emotional kind. But, you know, there's that hidden you have hidden family with awesome lives and exciting places and just the general feeling that something out there is waiting to make you whole, which is kind of the conceit of most romantic movies in general. So just lends itself very well as a genre to wish fulfillment. Well said. I was watching a proto-feminist family-friendly romp that touched the hearts of young lesbians nationwide and foretold my own future in the summer camp biz. (laughs) Yes. Awesome. (laughs) i'm so glad we had you on for this particular film we enjoyed having you jenny and we hope you can come back soon well thank you so much yeah i had a blast i love parent trap so much and uh thanks for uh, putting the ball in my court picking this movie it's a slam dunk is what it is touche yeah (laughs) i was gonna say since we have been victorious out here will you will you carry me on your shoulders as we go back home (laughs) jenny is there any anything that you want to plug right now uh well we're coming to the end of a difficult teaching year so if you have a teacher in your life uh give them some extra love that's what i plug cool today very worthwhile i'm just gonna plug our own show which is you can find our old episodes <laughs> online. Visit us, whatwerewatching.com. We're on our Bandcamp page. And also, you know, hit us up on social media, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. If you search What Were We Watching, you should find us. And email us, whatwerewatching at gmail.com. We want to hear about your memories of the parent trap and camp and the Concord and anything you want to talk about. <laughs> And I believe we actually have a message in the mailbox today. We do. An email from Sam Stovold, friend of the podcast. Subject line, Dubby Gushers. So he's responding to our last episode, The Dubbies, our version of the Oscars, in which we talked about our favorite films of the last year. And Sam writes, Dubboys, congratulations on another successful Dubbies and, of course, another successful year. As always, it's been a blast spending time with you guys in my ears and in my head, especially in 2020. Feeling isolated and deprived of my normal social circles and activities, your podcast was more important to me than ever, and I'm so grateful you soldiered on and continued consistently putting out entertaining, thoughtful, and hilarious discussions on the regular. Thank you. Well, thank you, Sam. Yes, it's very very nice. nice. With that out of the way, time to get down to dubby business to defeat the Huns. (laughs) I'm not exaggerating when I say that this is the award ceremony that I look forward to the most, and this year's didn't disappoint. How are there already seven of these things? I know, right? (laughs) Anyways, it's always a treat to get to hear you guys talking about some of your modern faves for a change, but I look forward even more to your what-were-we-watching-centric categories. I'll never get tired of hearing Eric talk about James Bond, and I've also never been more sold on the Zatoichi franchise before hearing Cam explain it in this episode. 
I may have to sign up for Criterion and take the plunge sometime soon myself. Also just want to say that Cam's description of the exhilaration he felt upon seeing Gakoids is so relatable. (laughs) (laughs) As someone who also spends arguably too much time focusing on movie and TV properties of my youth, well into adulthood, I do sometimes feel like I'm robbing myself of the opportunity to be truly surprised and overwhelmed by nostalgia when I revisit something. For that reason, whenever I do stumble upon something that's somehow slipped through the cracks after all these years, it's thrilling. <laughs> that's how I felt sort of when Meredith had the lizard in her mouth, to be honest yeah. with you. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, these images are just burned and, and it, you know, it's kind of nice to forget them and then like stumble upon them accidentally sometimes. So yeah, totally. Sam writes, you also ask your listeners to rank the CGI char- <laughs> CGI Star Wars characters. <laughs> I'm assuming you were only talking about CGI humans, so I won't include Maz and Jar Jar and, ah, hell, I will include them. <laughs> so number seven, CGI Luke. Number six, CGI Leia. Number five, Maz Kanata. Number four, Jar Jar Binks. Number three, Dexter Jetster. Number two, General Grievous. And number one, CGI Tarkin. <laughs> Very interesting. Um, you know, my, my, my ranking would be pretty similar, like CGI Luke last, CGI Leia also near the bottom. You know what? I'm going to go to bat for Jar Jar Binks because I feel like he's a pretty damn good effect in episode one, at least, at least when we first introduced to him. I feel like the light hits him in a decent way. Maybe it's also because it's, it's on film and not digital like the sequels, but I don't know. I think it's a decent effect. My favorite CGI character is Yoda. Just, just kidding. It's awful. Uh, <laughs> how, I'm just going to pick every single clone. How about that? Every single clone trooper. <laughs> but they look like so video gamey. Yeah. To be fair, I just am uh, abstaining from this question. I don't, I don't like yeah. any of it. <laughs> oh, I agree. I, I, don't I don't like, like it. Any just of it. In theory, like. <laughs> Jenny, who's your favorite CGI Star Wars character? <laughs> Oof. Tough call. Tough call. I was just imagining uh, when you said that about Yoda, that part where he, uh, that's the part where he um, has the lightsaber, turns it on in mm-hmm. one of the the prequels, I guess. Yeah. It's just, it's uh, it's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I will say that like that my memory of that moment in the theater is greater than like any like, totally. like subsequent yeah. revisiting of, of it. So I, I, I can I can appreciate it for just that initial like oh fuck this is happening <laughs> and the whole I remember, theater like the like, audience reaction yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm trying to remember is that episode three uh, two he does fight in number three too though right well. it's a better fight in my opinion <laughs> yeah I agree. I agree I'm trying to remember if there's any any other CGI stuff in the sequel trilogy that might be more appealing to me. Like characters, character wise, Snoke. Yeah. Oh, I'm. I'm. I can't believe Sam didn't put Snoke in this list. <laughs> Snoke is probably he, rising to the top number for one. Me, yeah. Yeah. He's a pretty convincing CG character. Yeah. Not so much in Force Awakens, but in Last Jedi, he gets definitely like a visual upgrade. He's just like Anyways. a holographic head in Force Awakens, right? Yeah. All right. I'll I'll continue Sam's email now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he says, "Can't wait to find out who gets the CGI treatment next." And yes, Dexter Jetster is absolutely an important enough character to belong on this list. More than Snoke. I'm ashamed of you, Sam. (laughs) (laughs) He knows better. Anyways, as far as awards, I just want to give out a few listener dubbies. Best performance by a guest, Ryan Kazmiski. You guys hit the nail on the head with this one. He was our Dunstan Checks In guest. So I won't dwell on it any further. 
other than to say that this episode was an absolute blast. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Best episode of the year, other than All Dogs Go to Heaven, obviously, <laughs> which is the one that he co-hosted with Brian without us. And his answer was Titanic. The passion, heart, and humor that Blythe brought to this episode was so infectious and wonderful. I sometimes forget what a formative movie this was for our entire generation. Your discussion definitely deepened my appreciation of Titanic and has made me so excited to eventually get around to revisiting it. I remember listening to this episode while I was cooking and just having a huge smile on my face the entire time. Perfection. (laughs) Titanic is good. I've always loved Titanic and I'm I'm glad that the consensus is coming back around being like, wait, why did we we think it was bad? It's good. Yeah. (laughs) I definitely had a new appreciation for it too. Uh, he continues, best cam performance, Scream 2. Mm, Thank you. Yes. <laughs> I'm almost embarrassed about how much I was gushing about that movie. <laughs> I, I am glad you did, cause it's just <laughs> my, it's, it's climbed so high in my estimation too. Like it, you really helped me see, unlock that movie for me. Like you really helped me see how amazing it is. It's a goddamn masterpiece. It is. <laughs> Uh, best Eric performance, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Your guys' enthusiasm for each of these franchises is off the charts, and it shows in the best of ways. Plus, Eric's Indiana Jones pitch is mind-blowing. <laughs> Hollywood, send this man a check already. Man, I have to dust that off. <laughs> but I agree. I I even said it. I was, I was very close to giving you the best co-host for, for Indy. We also stood on the shoulders of Manny for that one, too. I think he brought something really special to that episode. Definitely. That was a deep dive into our problematic feelings about (laughs) Temple of Doom. Yeah. (laughs) Sam continues, Anyways, thank you for indulging me by reading this way too long email, by letting me take over your podcast to blabber on about Don Bluth for an entire episode, and for giving me the chance to spend time with you two every three weeks. 2021 is already shaping up to be potentially your best year yet. And I can't wait to see what else you have in store for us. Nostalgically yours, Sam. P.S. How am I in the 10 timers club? I guess I just (laughs) tend to forget how many times I've been on because so many of them have been part of larger ensembles. But I'm always sitting in my study waiting for the Sam signal to appear in the sky so that I can return to W4 Studios for another session. I'll catch up to you yet, Brian. (laughs) Oh, man. That speaks to my Batman Returns loving heart right there. That reference, <laughs> waiting in the study, yeah. just dream like waiting. I, I, <laughs> Sam is a Sam is a pure podcaster through and through. Man, he's just always yes. ready to cast. <laughs> Sam, if I ever uh, get hit by a bus, you you can have this spot. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yep. He's next in line. He's part of the will. Cam's, check, Cam's <laughs> checking the bus schedule right now to see when he can he can parent trap me into an early demise. <laughs> um, but yeah, we'll we'll have you on again soon, Sam. And he also sent one follow up email. Oh shit! Subject line. Oh, just one more thing I forgot to mention. Godzilla vs. Astro Monster was snubbed during the new oldies, <laughs> and that's Invasion of Astro Monster or Godzilla vs. Monster Zero, just to be a nitpicker about it <laughs> godzillaologist but yes it is a masterpiece that i caught last year and my favorite of the entire godzilla franchise i did watch the in- entire godzilla franchise last year or you know before the dubbies um but i was already pushing my limits by awarding an entire other <laughs> japanese franchise the zatoichi franchise and then the top three within that series so i feel like it would have just been too much to also call out godzilla but yeah 
check out Invasion of Astro Monster. It's a visual masterpiece, and I recommend it to anybody. Can't wait. Thanks, Sam, for that email. It's wonderful <laughs> to hear from you, as always. Jenny, did you have a favorite movie or thing that you watched in 2020? Uh, 2020. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm feel like I'm now in 2021. It's hard for me to think yeah, about 2020. We're so deep in uh, <laughs> almost halfway through 2020. But, <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to think right now. I've just really gotten into the great. That's what I would recommend in this moment. The great, the, the Hulu series about uh, Catherine, the great uh, queen. Yes. Catherine, the great. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, with Nicholas Holt. Okay. You may remember from skins. Yeah. And about a boy. Yes, those are the first two things that definitely come to mind for me. I, <laughs> yes. no, no bullshit. <laughs> I, I mean that. <laughs> uh, surprise, uh, amazing performance by him in that show. Uh, so, highly recommend. It's very funny. I, I haven't even heard of it, but now I have. But I've actually taken your 2020 Rex to heart. Uh, this week I also watched The Orange Years. Oh, yeah. And absolutely loved it. And um, also Nomadland. Uh, mm. It was late to the party there. It's a great one. Uh, masterpiece. It's always a party in Fern's house or <laughs> Fern's van. That's Fran. That's Fran. <laughs> Eric. Oh, <laughs> get it right. <laughs> Those references are for the Oscar heads. Yeah. And <laughs> in, in, in five years, and everyone still remembers the 2020 Oscar ceremony, as I'm sure they will. Yeah. It was a weird one. Yeah. It's very bizarre. It was a bizarre year, but yes. we made it through with the help of our friends and great old movies. And Jenny, I just want to thank you once again for being with us and helping us talk about The Parent Trap. This was a blast. Uh, yeah. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> Do uh, cross our arms. Uh, <laughs> well, it was my pleasure. It was great to join you guys after a lot of years of listening, especially... Uh, listening to those episodes with my brother, one of my faves. <laughs> Shout out to Brian Radloff uh, for bringing me into this. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime. I wish the listeners could know what I'm doing, <laughs> this gesture. <laughs> We're crossing arms. Crossing arms. Crossing, crossing arms. Crossing, arms, crossing, crossing fingers. fingers. <laughs> and I would add like a sigh. Lindsay Lohan's always like... <gasps> <laughs> it was Wakanda forever before Wakanda. It was. Lohanda <laughs> yes. forever. All right, friends. Well, thanks again for listening. Thanks to Jenny Rudloff for being our guest. Um, this has been What Were We Watching? And until next time. This is your mother? Yes. You were married to him? <laughs> yeah. Guilty again. Oh, well, this is a small world. And getting smaller. <laughs>